At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Reveal, Stories with Purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Well, as I mentioned last week, um, we began a sermon series working through the Gospel of Luke, specifically focusing on the parables Jesus told in order to teach about the kingdom of God through these different stories. And Pastor John Morales uh, led the video service online. You can watch it if you hadn't been able to, but he walks through the first uh, of these uh, teachings uh, that, are, that were parables, the parable of the four soils, and that really is foundational in many ways to the rest of the parables, and the sowing of the gospel seed through parable throughout Luke's gospel. Um, and as I said this morning, we're going to be in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, looking at the specific parable of the prodigal son. But before we read the parable before us this morning, it's helpful to have broader context of Luke's gospel before we look at this particular parable. So let's think about the gospel of Luke leading up to chapter 15. Luke chapters 1 and 2 are the birth narratives of Jesus. It's those two chapters that we're always talking about during Christmas time. Then in chapter 3, we learn about the ministry of John the Baptist. John announced the coming of the Messiah, preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. Then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus' ministry begins. He announces the arrival of God's kingdom. He teaches in the synagogues. He heals many who are sick. And he calls his first disciples. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus first calls three fishermen, Peter, James, and John. Now, it wasn't typical for a rabbi to fill out his inner circle of followers with fishermen. Nevertheless, this wasn't too shocking, even if a little weird. However, as Luke 5 continues on, Jesus and his growing group of followers are making their way from one ministry experience to another when they come upon a tax booth. And sitting in this tax booth is a tax collector, a man named Matthew. Now, tax collectors, you have to know, were despised within this culture. Tax collectors were Jews who were employed by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from other Jews and then send the money back to Rome. So tax collectors were even less popular than the IRS is in our own day. At least when we send our tax dollars to the IRS, they're spending those monies on our own government. But when the Jews gave their money to tax collectors, the money was sent far away to the Roman emperor. So tax collectors were despised for their willingness to work for Israel's foreign occupiers, Rome. But when Jesus walks upon this tax booth, he looks at Matthew, the tax collector, and shockingly says, follow me. Now this was a scandal. Jesus grows his inner circle. He adds to his band of disciples with the addition of a tax collector. And then to celebrate Matthew joining the team, they throw a big party at Matthew's house. And Luke tells us that attending this great feast was, quote, a large company of tax collectors. 
So apparently Matthew had called all his tax collector co-worker buddies and said, hey, you're not going to believe this. You got to come meet my new rabbi that I'm following. So he throws this massive party. And then come the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the party poopers. They are the religion police. They are the moral authority. These guys were experts at meticulously keeping God's law such that they made extra rules so that they wouldn't even come close to breaking other rules. And when the Pharisees walk up on this party and they see who all is attending this party, Luke says they, quote, grumbled at Jesus' disciples asking, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? So they are appalled. They can't believe that Jesus would carouse with such scum as tax collectors and sinners. And then throughout Luke's gospel, more and more outcasts and sinners and prostitutes and poor people and broken people just keep coming to Jesus in droves. And at the same time, throughout Luke's gospel, more and more this tension rises between Jesus and the Pharisees, between Jesus and the religious establishment. So this brings us to Luke chapter 15. Listen to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, right before we, he tells this parable we're looking at today. That chapter begins like this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. And so in response to the Pharisees' continued grumbling, Jesus first tells a parable about a lost sheep, Then he tells a parable about a lost coin. And then he tells a parable about a lost son. And that's the parable we're looking at this morning. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of our God. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of the two sons said to his father... Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So the father divided his property between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there, the younger son squandered his property in reckless living. And when the younger son had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So the younger son went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And the younger son was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, the younger son said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I, my father's son, perish here with hunger? I will arise 
and go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And the younger son arose and came to his father. But while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced his younger son and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the father's older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. The servant said to the older brother, your younger brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. But the older son was angry and refused to go in. The older son's father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? The father said to his older son, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a man with two sons. The younger son is the one we first learn about. And what we learn is that the younger son is ready to inherit his inheritance. Now, this is a stunning request because just like in our own day, children typically don't receive their inheritance from their parents until their parents are dead. So for the younger son to ask for his inheritance prematurely like this, it wasn't simply an act of greed. It was an act of treachery. And cruelty. It was for the younger son, in effect, to say to his father, Dad, you're dead to me. So give me my inheritance. I'm done with you. I'm out of here. And that's exactly what happens. The father divides the inheritance between the two boys, and the younger son takes off, journeying to a far country. I imagine he went to the big city looking for the high life, searching for the biggest parties, seeking out the sensuous pleasures of the world. The young son did what many do even still today. They leave home. They leave the confines of home and tradition, oftentimes religion and morality along with it, and go instead to a faraway place, something new, something big, something real. And there in that faraway place of hopes and dreams, the younger son squandered away his inheritance. 
In a matter of just two verses within the parable, the younger son asks for his inheritance, receives his inheritance, and he blows right through his inheritance. Gambling and partying and thrill-seeking, it doesn't take long before it is gone. Furthermore, a severe famine hits the land, and now not only does he not have his daddy's money, he ain't got any money because it's hard to find a job when the weather's not cooperating in an ancient agrarian culture like this one. And so the younger son hires himself out to a pig farmer. He is employed with the tasks of filling the troughs with pig slop. And this job couldn't have paid much because even as disgusting as pig slop can be, he still doesn't have enough money to buy anything better to eat. That's right, as he serves the swine their food, he looks at it and thinks, man, that looks good. And it's in reaching the bottom this far, Jesus says the younger son finally came to himself. He came to his senses. And here's his first thought. Wait a second. I'm thinking about eating pig food? My father's servants have an excessive amount of bread. And here I am, my father's son, dying of hunger. And so you can feel the regret start to set in. What have I done? I've traded the gracious provision of my father to be a hired hand, getting paid nothing, eating nothing. And so he says, I'm going home. I'm going to confess to my father, I sinned against God, I sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now you think about the shame he must have felt. I'm no longer worthy. No longer worthy to be called your son. What humiliation and worthlessness and shame he must have felt. And so he takes off. He returns home and all it takes is getting within an eye shot of his home and his papa already sees him. It's like daddy never stopped waiting up for him. His dad was always on the lookout, hoping, praying, longing for the return of his lost son. And then Jesus tells us that the father, upon seeing his son, feels compassion. The father doesn't feel rage and want vengeance. The father doesn't feel shame and want to reject his son. No, he feels compassion for his son. And so he excitedly sprints to his son and unashamedly embraces him and kisses him. And the son starts into this confession that he had recited, but the father cuts him off before he can finish it. Servants, bring him the best robe. Bring a ring for his hand. Bring sandals for his feet. Bring the fattened calf and slaughter it because we are throwing a party. My son was dead and now he's alive. My son was lost, and now he's found. How amazing. How beautiful, this tale of redemption. But let's think about it. What this first half of the story teaches us is that many of us seek salvation by throwing off constraint, by throwing off the constraints of religion, by throwing off the constraints of morality, by throwing off the constraints of family. 
Many of us seek salvation by unabashedly living for ourselves and the pleasures of the world. Religion just holds you back. Morality is so confining. Family just tries to control you. And so you walk away from it. And instead, try to find life in all sorts of sensuality and pleasure-seeking and following your heart and being yourself, apart from what your parents say, apart from what religion says. Spend your money on whatever, have sex with whomever, drink, smoke, say, do whatever. And maybe your version of this experience wasn't as extreme as the younger son, but he typifies those of us who seek salvation by throwing off constraint. And so the question is, what does God think of us when we act like this? How does God treat those of us who seek salvation by living for ourselves and the pleasures of the world? Is he angry at us? Does he reject us? Well, the answer of this parable is a resounding no, just the opposite. The father welcomes those who are far from him because of rebellion. What the grossest, meanest, most lawless, most idolatrous, most defiant sinner, when they repent, the father welcomes them home. And he doesn't make you earn your way back into the family. He doesn't hang it over your head how you blew it all those years. No, he immediately puts his best robe on you. He immediately puts the family ring on your finger and sends for the fattened calf to be slaughtered because we are celebrating my son, not my servant, not my slave. My son was lost and is now found. My son has come home. And so I have to encourage you, friend, no matter how deep you may be stuck in sin, and no matter how long you may have been stuck there, turn to the Father, and he will receive you. And here's how we can know that he will receive you. Not merely because of this parable Jesus spoke, but because of the action Jesus took in going to the cross. On the cross, Jesus experienced the full weight of God's justice so that we could be assured of our forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus experienced divine rejection so that we could be assured of being divinely accepted. Turn from your life of sin, trust in Jesus, and through the humiliation and glory of the cross, he will welcome you home. Now, so far, we've covered the majority of this parable as far as word count goes, but even though this last part is shorter, I think it's actually the main thing Jesus was focusing on here. The older brother How will he respond to the return of the prodigal? Well, the older brother is in the field, dutifully carrying out the family business. And as he heads home, he can already hear the celebration taking place. The father's welcome home party was no small affair. And so the singing and dancing can be heard a field away. And so the older son asks one of the servants, what's going on? And he finds out, your younger brother has returned. 
Your father has received them, and now they celebrate. And as soon as the older brother hears this news, anger erupts in his heart. What? A party for my younger brother? He doesn't deserve a party. He deserves punishment, retribution, to be shamed. That's the spirit of the older brother's anger. And so he refuses to go in. He won't join the celebration. He stays outside. Even when the father goes out to the older brother calling to him to join, the older son says, look, father, I have served you so long. I have never disobeyed you. And yet you never gave me a party like this. And yet you give one to this terrible son of yours. Notice he won't even call his younger brother his younger brother. He says, this son of yours devoured your property with prostitutes, and yet you give him your best, your best robe, your best calf. But the father, gracious as ever, replies, son, you are always with me, and all I have is yours, party or no party. So, thinking about this half of the story, If the younger son typifies the way many of us seek salvation by throwing out religion, morality, and tradition, the older brother is typical of just the opposite. He seeks salvation by following all the rules, by keeping the family tradition. Notice when the father, when he complains to the father, I have always served you. I never disobeyed you. When he says that, the father doesn't disagree with him. The older son was compliant, obedient, followed all the rules, and yet, at the end of this story, he's the one on the outside looking in. Despite how long and how meticulously the older son conformed to all the rules, he is missing out on the celebratory party of the father's love. The younger son sought salvation and fulfillment through bad behavior, but the older son seeks salvation and fulfillment through good behavior, but they are both equally lost apart from the grace of the father. Sure, the older brother wasn't a crazy rebel, but can't you feel his sense of superiority? Sure, the older brother hadn't lain with prostitutes, but can't you feel his nasty sense of entitlement? Sure, the older brother hadn't blown through a bunch of money, but can't you tell? He's bitter, resentful, harsh, callous, merciless. The younger brother was lost because of his bad works and sinful behavior, but the older brother is just as lost because of his good works and righteous behavior. And here's how you can know if you have older brother syndrome. Do you look down on younger brother types? Do you feel superior to sinners, unbelievers, adulterers, outsiders? Do you feel entitled to God's blessing? Have you ever felt that sneaky, sometimes subtle sense of, I'm better 
than that person. I'm better than that group. I do the right things. I make the sacrifices. I show commitment. I'm better than broken, filthy, used up sinners. I deserve more than fill in the blank. Whomever. Whomever is the nastiest kind of person you can think of, I've deserved better than them. I am better than them. If those thoughts have crossed your mind, if those feelings have shown up inside of you, then to one degree or another, you have experienced exactly what this older brother is going through. And you need to ask yourself, is your obedience and righteous living and sacrificial service, is it really about glorifying and enjoying God? Or is it really about you? Puffing yourself up, showing yourself off, saving yourself. But here's the beautiful thing. Despite how ugly the older brother's heart is, the father welcomes him to the party as well. The father leaves the celebration, goes out into the field, just like he did for the younger brother. He's looking for his son, calling for his older son. Come to the party. Where are you? The father welcomes and seeks out his self-righteous son. And though the father had to endure his son's grumbling and complaining, the father doesn't get mad back at his older son. He doesn't go blow for blow with him. No, the father says, son, I have always been with you. All I have is yours. But it was necessary for us to rejoice at your brother's return. He was dead and now lives. He was lost and is now found. And with that, The parable ends. We don't know what the older brother does. Does he set aside his arrogance and receive the grace of the father? Or does he dig in, maintain his cause, and separate himself further and further? We don't know. And I think Jesus left it open and unanswered like that in order for us older brother types amongst us to ask ourselves, what would I do? Would I go to the party? Would I set aside my arrogance? Would I humble myself and repent of my self-righteousness? And so church, that's what I want to call us to right now. Look to the cross of Jesus. There, he not only died for our gross sinful behavior, but there he also died for our self-righteousness. There he also died for our hypocrisy. There on the cross he also died for our holier-than-thou, superior-to-everybody-else attitude. Look to the cross. Put off your arrogance. Receive forgiveness and walk in humility. Older brother, the party is open to you. There is a seat at the banquet of God's love for you. There is space on the dance floor of God's grace for you. Come, party with sinners who have been transformed by the grace of Jesus. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we come before you with joyful hearts this morning, reflecting on the good news of your grace to us in Christ. Father, we thank you that the doors to the celebration of your love, they are swung wide open for us to enter into. And God, we thank you for the cross of Jesus, the key which turns the lock, opening those doors, allowing us to come in. We celebrate your love and mercy demonstrated in the cross of Christ. And Lord, we celebrate that we can come home. We can be in relationship with you through the cross. Father, I pray that this church would be a place of welcome and hospitality for the most broken, the most sinful, the most shamed people our society has to offer. May Woodside Lapeer be a demonstration of the Father's hearts, swinging open the doors of our church, swinging open the doors of our home, and saying, come, party with us, do life with us, walk with us, following Jesus, living life as you designed it under your care and lordship. God, may Woodside Lapeer be a faith family that welcomes home the lost with that kind of joy. Father, I pray for all of us here with hardened hearts, touched by bitterness, resentful towards others, those of us who are like the older brother. Lord, for each one of us, your spirit has some softening work to do. For each one of us, we've fallen short of the compassion of the Father towards the broken. God, I pray you would humble us. I pray every day we would wake up and get on our knees before the cross of Christ, remembering the humiliation, remembering how gruesome his death was on our behalf because our sin is that humiliating, because our sin is that gruesome. And so, God, may we never consider ourselves more significant than anyone else for any reason. God, may Woodside Lapeer, may we be so humble, so compassionate, just as you are towards the most broken. Do this work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, breaking our hearts, humbling us, and lifting us up to live with compassion for your glory. God, may it be so. Do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.